Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it's no different. I have Mr. Michael Silverstein. Michael, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? Oh, man, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Looking forward to it. It's great to have you on, my man. Um, Michael, before we get into your current day-to-day, take us back in time. Who was Michael as a young kid at school? Sure. Yeah, for for me growing up here in the States, I grew up um, in a beach community in New Jersey, just off the coast, a small town called Shrewsbury. Growing up, you know, somewhat of a typical childhood, played every sport I could get my hands on um, and really, you know, had an affinity and, and excelled a bit in, in soccer and followed that path to the point where I was playing in college. A, uh, small D3 school just outside of Boston called Brandeis University. Um, you know, obviously sport was always something that was of interest, unlike, you know, most young boys growing up. And I wasn't, you know, totally sure that I would find myself in, in the business of sport as a young kid. But, you know, following uh, my undergrad degree at, at Brandeis, I, I chose to take on postgraduate degree uh, at Georgetown University, uh, which um, offered a sports management master's degree, and that really helped guide the career and provide a launch pad. Um, the networking opportunities and the curriculum that were built in uh, in that graduate program you know, really helped you know, get me those internships and ultimately you know, springboard the career and, and at least allow me to make a decision on if this was right for me and just give me the opportunity that uh, you know, I have today. Amazing. And take us through that opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for you know, um, where I am now as vice president for the partnerships at the Washington Redskins, you know, obviously it didn't start there. Um, it, it really all began with internships and networking. Um, oddly enough, I did intern with the Washington Redskins while I was at Georgetown in their premium picking department. It's, you know, this life comes full circle here. But, you know, from there, I, I held a few different roles before I found myself back in D.C. Um, I had worked on the agency side uh, for um, a French-based agency called Lagardier Sports. You might be familiar with. They manage yeah. a number of different properties, including um, some events here in D.C., uh, in, including the City Open Tennis Tournament, Boston Marathon, um, Safeway Open Golf Tournament, California. Um, I worked in sales on their events team, um, which really, you know, help open my eyes to the, the sales and marketing of sport and the business of sport um, initially where I was, you know, much more hands-on in that role versus some of the internships um, and, and, and learning what it took to, to sell, what it, what it took to conduct yourself professionally, um, be it on the phone, on, by email, um, really just early, early, early stuff, cutting my teeth uh, in the industry before uh, my next role with, the New York Mets. I uh, was really fortunate enough to head back home um, 
worked for a New York-based team in the New York Mets, despite the fact that I grew up a Yankees fan working for the Mets was a pleasure. Yeah. Um, and I, I there was you know first able to really hone in on the sponsorship business. I was given a tremendous opportunity to work in the sponsorship group with the Mets, which was really um, uh, really eye-opening. Um, obviously, the, the market of New York, the type of brands we were working with, and even though I was still, you know, very much in a sales support role, um, had earned enough, you know, credibility with, with my boss at the time to begin starting to sell and pitch sponsorships at a, at a lower level for, for the Mets. And, you know, in, in, in that time, I was churning out decks and building presentations and learning the the ins and outs of all the sales materials and what went into you know, building proper proposals and what were the assets and what was what was the pitch? What were some of the, the marketing plans that you know Fortune 500 companies were investing in hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in and why were they doing it? Um, and I learned all of that in my time there, which you know proved to be really invaluable and where I learned that like, hey, this is this is something I can see myself doing for a little while and something that I'm really interested in. Um, you know, from there, uh, an opportunity opened up with the Redskins. I had built some friendships through my internship and the folks that were still with the team with the Redskins had reached out to me about, um, coming back to DC and, and, you know, starting a, a new sales position, um, in the Redskins corporate partnerships team at the time. And like I said, I've now been with the team for close to six years. Um, so I, so I, I agreed to come down and interview with the Redskins and, and I knew it. I was I was back down in DC on my second tour of duty, um, and, and I've been here ever since. And it's really just been, you know, it's been one of those you know, dream type situations. Definitely, you know, one of the you know you talked about you know, providing some advice here in this conversation at some point, but just having the the perspective to never really take anything for granted, or um, don't allow yourself to get jaded by you know the the, the unbelievable experiences that you're able to. Received through through working in this industry, and you know what the Redskins have ultimately been able to offer over these past six years is you know all encompassing from a learning, um, from a business standpoint, and from unique experiences that you know I'll hold for the rest of my life. Absolutely, man. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than in the NFL team. Um, yeah. go on, sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say no. You're 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 right, especially. In the U.S. and you know, um, before we go any further, you know, we were talking before. Um, I was very, very fortunate enough for for your Aussie audience here. Um, spent some time abroad while I was an undergrad at Brandeis, and spent a semester um, in Melbourne for you know about four or five months, and just ultimately fell in love with uh, with the city, with the country, but you know, the sport in, in Melbourne was just amazing. You go into footy games every. Every weekend, it seemed like on, on the student ticket rate for like 20 bucks. Um, <laughs> ultimately, like falling in love with the Carlton Blues. Shout out Brandon Cola. Wow. Um, some of the guys back in the day, yeah, that, that we really, you know, linked it, linked up with at the time. It was just, it was a great time. So I just want to get that plug in for, um, for, for, for Melvin Waller. Well, I got you. That's crazy, man. Do, do you think, uh, for, for Waller, it would have been a good kicker or a punter? <laughs> Favola, you know Favola. I mean, he was a madman. He he would have been a middle linebacker or something. He he, was, he did not shy away from contact. That's for sure. He's a hitter. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I could see him wanting to get physical in the NFL, but mm-hmm. no doubt about it. I mean, he could certainly punt with the best of them in the league. And you see some of the Aussie guys coming over to the NFL and having you know, quite a career. Um, yeah. It's blanking on the name, but I think the, the kicker for the part from the Giants is Australian boy, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure of the uh, guy at the Giants' name now, but I know Ben Graham spent many years there. He could kick the ball a mile. He wants to kick the Australian ball 90 meters. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, too, I think Sav Raka was uh, a yeah. Australian punter. Yeah, yeah. That, that name's coming to mind, too. But yeah, certainly translates, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, let's, let's get into the actual um, day-to-day I mean, being a part of these massive teams, your approach through, uh, I'm sure you guys have had, have so many partnerships and brands that would like to collaborate, so on, so on, on one end. And then on, on the other end, it's also very competitive because there's 32 teams, right? So how do you guys balance that? Like, what's, what's, what's the key to getting the right brands on board but not pushing too, too many away to really, really make sure that you guys have a good a good range of brands that you, that, that you sort of work with because from my previous interviews, I've had clubs that or teams that work with up to 120 brands. So it's yeah. it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and, and you know, it, as, as, we, as this conversation starts to evolve, I think we'll, we'll uncover this a little bit more, but there are limitless opportunities to work with brands and there are certainly limited opportunities in the same sense. Um, you know, the, the larger partnerships in, in the blue chip categories are going to warrant um, the larger spend, the larger investments as these are more broadly you know, consumer facing brands and we'll see more of the value. But they'll also, you know, look to negotiate into some of these deals exclusivities, which would bar any other brands from, from working in those, in those categories. For instance, um, in, in, in the banking category. You might find uh, teams opting for exclusive deals at, at higher values um, versus you know, some strategies might be to, to introduce multiple different brands. In the category. For us, we have an exclusive with Bank of America, uh, which would then preclude us from, from working with other banks. And as you know, you know banking as a, as a category for advertising is massive. But you know, considering the, the arrangement that we have, you know, we're you know, happy with where we are in that relationship. And so... There is, for instance, like a limited opportunity, but in, in the sense where, you know, we are as much a media house as we are a football team. And that's really been the evolution of, you know, technology promoting competition for, uh, for eyeballs, as well as, you know, teams looking to gain an edge. Um, so while, you know, we may be working with over a hundred brands, the ones that are most prominent are, you know, the ones that are, uh, you know, making the investments or that see the, the, the value in, in broader comprehensive sponsorships versus the, you know, call it lower tier advertisers that work with us that may simply buy our radio program or may simply buy some of our TV shows, but aren't necessarily looking to make the type of splash that would warrant, um, you know, the IP rights the designations, the official sponsorships um, that we're accustomed to seeing. And so when you go down the list of, you know, those tier ones, those, those big banks, insurance companies, um, those beverage companies, et cetera, that are really the blue chip brands, you work your way down, you start to realize, you know, there are just so many varying levels of sponsorship 
and media that, that teams are offering, it really gives us an endless amount of opportunity to work with, you know, varying levels of businesses, you know, from, from local, regional, the national, the international, you know, powerhouses are all doing business with the Washington Redskins. And it's my job to, to your point, to identify where those fits are to make sense. Ultimately, you know, we are in a sales and marketing business and, and I'm very much on the uh, front lines of our sales and, and, and revenue for the organization. Um, so for us, you know, getting creative in terms of, you know, what brands and what opportunities make sense. Um, and ultimately, what do we have to offer that would be of value that would warrant us engaging with, um, you know, set brands? Absolutely. Makes it makes a lot of sense. Is there a certain criteria that you sort of look for or is it case by case? Well, there's certainly criteria, you know, there, there are going to be indicators. It would be impossible for you know, any salesperson to open up the, uh, the phone book, you know, a uh, reference back in the day, open up the phone book and just start at the letter A and work your way down. Um, you know, we're, we're always monitoring competition. For us, you know, we, we're always, you know, looking to keep our, our finger on the pulse in terms of who's advertising this space. And then what are the qualifications of working back? Do they, are these your traditional sports advertisers? You know, those are the ones that ultimately everybody sees, right? Everyone knows who's advertising in the sports industry. Um, and so it's once you start to get beyond that, where you start to, um, you know, really curate the, the opportunity based on you know, what you can offer to a certain industry is where you start to identify who might be a good fit specifically for the Washington Redskins. And so if you think about that, for us, it's, you know, is Washington, D.C. an important market? Are you looking to reach uh, a high income, you know, high household income demographic? Um, are you looking to reach, you know, men predominantly, um, you know, 20 to, to 50 years old? You know, you start to go down some of the demographic characteristics as well as the market characteristics we can see where but for us we know we, we over index pretty heavily in, in millennial audiences which is obviously very attractive for a lot of folks we also over index pretty significantly in household income there's a lot of disposable income in the greater DC area and we start to build a profile of who these brands reach um, and when you start to do that you do start to narrow down okay who who fits within this category who ultimately would benefit from reaching these people or a segment of that audience. Um, and then from there, you can start to build, you know, your, your list of accounts that, that you believe would, would ultimately, um, you know, warrant or, or at least um, engage in, in a conversation. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. How has technology impacted you guys? Has it made your life easier? Has it made everything a lot more trackable? Or has it also made it difficult because brands also have a lot more access to the actual reach and coverage that, that, that you give them? Yeah, no, so I, I'm glad you um, I'm glad you got specific with, with the question on tech. We really take this so many different ways. Yeah. Um, but if we're if we're talking about, um, you know, in terms of transparency, I think broadly speaking, we can really start there in terms of how we conduct business. Um, you know, now more than ever, and this isn't, you know, anything groundbreaking per se, but now more than ever, I think transparency has just been at an all time high in terms of reporting, um, in terms of metrics, 
um, and, and in terms of you know what what we're pitching and, and what we're looking to deliver. What are the KPIs? Um, you know, when when KPIs used to simply you know maybe an impressions based model. You know, how many eyeballs are we getting? Um, you know, that's fairly easy to deliver. We we know our audience. We know you know what what the viewership is for for our games for our, whether it be um, you know, traditionally speaking on TV and radio or, you know, our average impressions on, on social and how much reach does a, does a video post get. But the reality is now, as, as everyone's gotten so much savvier um, and the technology has really driven the transparency of reporting, you know, the, the impressions model just becomes archaic. And, and while it's certainly, you know, my job to, to drive the value and the intangible values of partnering with a brand like Washington Redskins, um, it doesn't stop marketers from really drilling down into details of, um, you know, what are the click-through rates on said ads? What are the um, uh, conversion rates on said promotional campaigns? You know, we're looking to, um, you know, drive app downloads and, and, you know, say we're we're talking to a betting company now that that it's topical um, as as the industry really starts to sprout in the U.S. Um, you know, they're not just looking for impressions, right? They're looking for, we need account signups, we need app downloads, we need deposits, and we need first play. So what campaign are you putting together that hits each of these targets? And how do you, um, you know, how are you going to get us there ultimately? Because that will be the success. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really tough task. Okay. Uh, um, so for us, it's, it's challenging us to get creative. That's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once you have like, Tens of brands joining, um, and and you have uh, basically you have to create a different flow funnel pitch for every single brand and make sure that they're all monetizing all through your 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 own platforms. Uh, it's very easy to get to a level of overkill, so balancing that for each brand. Is a very tough task, so that's why you, you guys do absolutely an amazing job, and yeah, it's it's not for the faint of heart, but I can tell you that. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly not, um, and and you learn that quickly. You know, one of the things I uh, I tell folks, you know, as as they're coming up or folks who are just interning with us, um, is you know you'll learn pretty quickly if this business is for you or not, and. and it's easy as, as a youngster to think you want to work in sports um, exactly. until you do and you realize that, hey, we actually do work. You know, we, yeah. we actually work pretty hard, actually. You know, and, and um, there, there are long nights, there are off hours, there are you know, um, a lot of things that go into it. And, and in a sales and marketing-based business, um, especially in sales, you know, you, you deal with a lot of rejection. You deal with a lot of no's. I get a lot more no's than I do yes. I promise you that. Uh, that's just the way it works. And so your point, it, it, it's not for the thing of heart. You are going to put in a lot of time and a lot of effort into these projects and ultimately, um, you know, not see them through. For whatever reason, brands decide to go in a different direction or just don't find the right fit or maybe this year isn't the right timing. Um, and so it, it really does take a resilient individual to you know, be able to cope with that and, and just continue to press on. Um, and that's really just, uh, it's just the half of it. Very nice. Um, where's the industry moving forward? How do you see things evolving? Well, we talked just before, you know, a little bit with sports betting. You know, obviously, um, 
many of the other uh, sporting nations in the world are, are you know, leaps and bounds ahead of the U.S. in terms of where we are in legalized sports betting and integrating into the games itself. Um, you know, we've we're you know early on, on the fantasy sports part, but obviously the sports betting is, is going and it's on the precipice as as states on a, on a monthly annual basis are passing legislation to, to um, allow sports betting in their states, and, and they're seeing um, just tremendous results from it. If you just look at New Jersey in the first you know, few months, they were seeing a billion dollars in revenue just from sports betting alone. Um, and so that's that's easily you know one of the biggest uh, um, you know changes that that's going to be occurring going forward. Um, there's going to be you know my the way I I see it, you know, there's going to be a consolidation um, of companies. It seems there are just an endless amount of, of sports betting properties, and I don't know if it'll continue that way. Um, you know, given just just how massive the industry is. Um, you know, beyond sports betting, you look at you know the, the tech side of things and um, how fans are watching games. You know, more and more every year, it seems like um, leagues are opting to offer. Uh, rights fees to streaming platforms and or non-traditional platforms like a um, like a Twitter or like a Facebook that are getting into the live streaming business um, and why not if, if they they have the capability to do it it's it's really the the last of a dying breed the the live sport is really the the last event you must watch on you know as it's as it's occurring versus many of the other programs that we watch today. Um, so the streaming business will continue to get you know bigger and bigger, and, and what that means I think for teams is you know more more control of, of the content, um, not relying on uh, media partners for distribution. We're we're seeing you know obviously now more than ever the social content that teams are putting out are just more and more um, sophisticated and more and more dynamic and engaging, and you know to my earlier point. Really appearing as if you know the Redskins are this are, are this media property. Wow, look at this great creative, and look at this amazing you know uh, uh, video quality. And teams are really investing heavily into those resources to show that you know hey we can actually act as our own media driver. We we might not need partnerships in place with you know some of the other media properties that to support distribution. And so you know it'll be interesting to see how that, how that continues to evolve and. Obviously, there are you know, league policies in place around the content that, that teams can air and, and the content that is owned by the league. So we'll see how that, those decisions continue to be made. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting a lot more simpler to air your own games and becoming your own media network. Um, knowing the nature of the league and the people up the top, I, I can't see that being too, too far away, to be honest with you. The only yeah. thing that can stop it is if these media networks can keep paying the money that they are paying. So how That's long sure. how long sure. how long can they keep paying this sort of money? How long can they keep the lights on in terms of cable and pay TV and so on, so on, so on? Being basically a uh, middleman and 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 how long is it gonna stay working for the for the teams to their advantage basically? So it's going to be a very interesting journey. Let's just put it that way. No doubt, no doubt, and ultimately, you know, the games I imagine will still reside on on the cable networks because of the rights fees. No league is giving that up, but 
you, you also have to understand, I mean, at least for us, the Redskins, you know, we're producing, you know, upwards of five to six TV programs in-house during the season. Um, so the point being, you know, traditionally we were relying on our media partners for distribution as we start to, you know, digitize those programs and create, you know, maybe shorter form digital shows. Um, you know, those, those media resources, those incremental media resources might, might not be as, uh, as critical to the distribution as they were before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it all makes a lot of sense. Uh, Definitely, definitely going to be very, very interesting times ahead. Um, so what do you say to, to the young person who's looking to follow in the same steps to your journey? What are some pieces of advice that you can give them? Sure. One thing that always comes to mind for me and that is, um, you know, folks like to make excuses around it's about who you know. And that's always the, the common cliche. Really, any position that, that one might feel is a, has a strong barrier to entry. And it's, the only truth is that there is serious competition in the sports industry. Um, I, I'll certainly not subscribe to it's all about who you know because I didn't know anybody. Um, so for, for me, it's not so much about who you know, it's about making people know who you are. Yeah. And it, networking is a commonly used term. Um, but it's it's not to be taken lightly, and be it you know face to face interactions or now Zoom interactions, and making those in your industry, especially before you get there, aware of your interests, your interests in their roles, and your interest in pursuing a future internship or job, um, is is literally the groundwork to have right now. Um, you know, no one is, is out here handing out internships and no one's handing out jobs. It's way too competitive. Um, but if you are willing to connect and network and grind out the, 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 the interaction, the networking, something's going to come your way. And the wider net you're willing to cast, then the more opportunity you're going to have. Um, you know, you see people bounce around quite a bit from, you know, be it team to team or league or to agency or to different areas of country. And at some point, you just kind of have to make a decision that you know, you're willing to go on this journey um, and, and you're willing to you know, put yourself out there and, and face you know, potential rejections and be okay with that, be able to continue moving forward. And ultimately, you, know, you, you will persevere with consistency and being authentic. So you know, ultimately, I, I think that's probably the biggest key. Absolutely. Awesome. So... Basically, just to sum that up, put yourself in good positions, mix with people, work hard, take the no's, because eventually you will get a yes and just keep going. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, you'll learn. You'll learn to embrace the no's over time. You'll you'll learn to embrace it because you know there's a yes coming. Absolutely, love it. All right, Michael. Um, it's been an amazing chat. Thank you very much. You've shed a ton of light on us. Before we let you go, where can we find you online? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I think you know we're, we're talking networking here. I think LinkedIn is great. It's you know such a tremendous resource that has evolved in itself since you know I first started uh, my my own account and it was just a just a job board. So yeah, LinkedIn, Michael Silverstein. I know you'll have this um, on there. Feel free to contact me there, and you know, happy to help however possible. Awesome. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the man himself, Mr. Michael Silverstein from the Washington Redskins. Once again, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Oh man, this is great. Be happy to be back anytime. And next time you're in DC, a couple beers on me. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?